Good morning, Forest Park. It's great to see you guys today. Thank you for coming out in the middle of summer, hot day, but you've chosen to be with us today, and we feel honored you are here. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Break Free. We're going to be in this over the next three weeks, and really excited to jump into some some deeper waters, if you will. We're going to really get into some stuff that I think will be challenging, hopefully encouraging at the same time. So hopefully I can do both well. Let's jump into part one of the series. I want to begin with a question. I want you to just sit there and just let this sink in, think about it a little bit as we get today's message rolling. Here's the question. What is holding you back from living completely free, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. What is holding you back? I mean, if we could peel back the public layers of your life and look at the private truth of who you are, your heart, your beliefs, your behaviors, your marriage, your career, your friendships, your struggles, your fears, everything. If all of it were laid bare, what would we find preventing you from living in freedom? Now, before we jump into this message, here are three thoughts about those particular questions or the big question that we're trying to answer today. First of all, no one is completely free, all right? In case you think you're kind of the exception today and you've got something floating around in your heart or mind about, you know, a particular bondage or a particular issue that you struggle with and you think, I'm probably the only one. Listen, no one is completely free. There is not a person gathered in this experience who is walking in perfect freedom. Every one of us has areas of bondage. Some are just more visible than others. We see it in this person's life. It's something that's more public, if you will. But every single person is hindered somewhere. Number two, do not be ashamed. Shame will not help you. We are human. We have needs and wants and passions and desires. Some of those needs and passions and desires we don't understand. Some are quite confusing. We take a look in the depths of our soul and the depths of our mind and our heart and we go why do I still struggle with that? Why do I battle that? Or why does my wife or why does my husband? So some of them we just don't understand, but they're all human. And number three, there is hope for you. You do not have to remain in bondage. That's what this entire series is about. You do not have to remain in bondage. You can, and I believe will, through this series, begin the journey toward freedom. All right? All right, let's dig into today's message. Those of you who've been around Forest Park for a number of years, or maybe you are new but you took first step a couple of weeks ago, you are familiar with our seven culture statements and our three value statements. Just kind of as a reminder, our seven culture statements are plastered on the walls uh, in our lobby down our hallway, and they read, one, lost people matter most, two, grace transforms, three, it's okay to not be okay, four, the best is yet to come, Five, it's not about me. Six, we are better together. And seven, growing people change. These seven culture statements describe us. And then we have three value statements that define us. And the three value statements are everyone included, everyone connected, everyone whole. That's what we want. They define us. They keep us on track, if you will. Yet... Nearly 20 years of leading Forest Park and nearly 10 years leading churches before Forest Park 
have caused me to wonder whether we embrace the culture statements and the value statements, at least whether we embrace all of them. Let me get right to it. For the sake of this series, I want to highlight one culture statement and one value statement. We as a local church, I can't speak for all the other churches, but we as a local church struggle with the most, at least here at Forest Park, okay? And here they are, one value statement, one culture statement. The culture statement we struggle with the most, growing people change. The value statement we struggle with the most, everyone whole. Here's my experience and why I say that. I can't speak, as I said, about other churches, but I can address this one. This is my responsibility as a pastor to do the best I can to kind of, you know, diagnose, if you will, dissect, get down into where we live and figure out maybe some hurdles we have, some walls we've built up, some challenges in front of us. Here's my experience. Many of us, quote unquote, accepted Jesus into our hearts. We did that at the end of a Sunday service or a special gathering. We prayed the prayer. We repeated the words after someone or we used our own words and we said something like this in our own vernacular. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Please save me. And someone asked you at the end of a service to lift your hand and they counted your hand or they asked you to close your eyes and bow your head or maybe you were in a community group or you were with us in Ecuador when it happened or you were at the, like the student life camp that students just went on or maybe in the years past you went to a special gathering and something like that occurred in your life. And after a lot of us prayed that prayer, we just moved on with life as it was before. Little to no difference in our thinking, value, social life, habits, language, sex life, money, time, politics, entertainment, friends, reading habits, internet viewing, virtually nothing changed other than the fact we prayed a prayer. So I'm not so sure many of us buy into the idea growing people change and everyone whole. Because growing people change implies progress towards something better. Everyone whole implies health and healing and moving from a state of brokenness to wholeness. Once again, progress. Instead, what I see within our church is acceptance of life. It is what it is. We are who we are. We do what we do, kind of remaining the same month after month, year after year, a stuckness, if you will. Stuckness is not a word. I made it up for this message, okay? A stuckness, a, a, a sticking point, a, a status quo, if you will. And this was brought to my attention a few years ago when I read a book by Dallas Willard. And in it, he, he points out the bumper stickers plastered on a lot of cars and trucks and vans driven by Christians. And here's a picture of the bumper sticker I'm talking about. It says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Maybe you have that bumper sticker on your car, truck, or van. I don't know. I'm not here to bash you if you do. But it's just an interesting point. A lot of Christians will put this on their, their car, truck, or van, or whatever it is that you drive. And then he asked this question, and this really got to me a few years ago, and i kind of been on this journey for a while ever since. And he, he asked this question. He says, is that it? I mean, Christians are just forgiven? I mean, that's our hope. 
all of Scripture, all the teachings of Jesus, all the example of the apostles, church history, theology, all of it comes down to being just forgiven. In other words, does Christianity teach that the only difference between a person of faith and a person of no faith is one group is just forgiven and the other group's not? I mean, of course we're not perfect. No one is implying implying that we ever will get to a place where we're perfect. No one is saying that we should even strive for perfection. There's probably always going to be a gap from where we are to what, you know, we know is more love and more grace and more freedom and all the different things that we look up to as being a particular standard. You know, there will always be a gap. But isn't there an infinite amount of space between perfection and just forgiven? I mean, just forgiven is the bottom shelf of Christianity. Not perfect, just forgiven. That's, that's, that's the beginning. It's like a 26-mile marathon with just forgiving being the starting point. That's where the gun goes off and, and you're released to run the race. Just forgiven is the beginning. Just forgiven is the you're free. Just forgiven is the weight's been lifted. Just forgiven is go. And what, what exactly does this statement imply? Not perfect, just forgiven. It, it implies a person can have faith in Christ bringing forgiveness but in every other area of his or her life look no different than those with no faith. I mean, is that what following Jesus is all about? Is that the only hope we have? Is that the only hope you have for your family, for your friends, for your kids, for your neighbors, for this city, for this nation, for this world? The only, ha- the only hope I have for you is that you're just forgiven. Well, what about all these bondages? What about all these problems? What about all this brokenness? What about all this pain? What about all this confusion? What about all the violence? What about all the hurt? What about all the... Christianity just offers forgiveness. I mean, come on. Is it true that we can follow Jesus and have millions of people professing to follow Jesus but not look like him, not act like him, not think like him, not treat other people like him. See, that, that's why I say I'm not so sure we as a church buy into the culture statement, growing people change and everyone whole. Now listen very carefully. This is extremely important you get this at the very beginning of this message. If what you hear me say today is, is kind of a guilt trip, and it's an attempt to make you feel badly, And hopefully when you walk out of here, you'll just have this weight of guilt riding on your shoulders and you go out of here with a new list of things to try to do. And all this is about is trying to make you really, 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 really try harder. Then then I'm not clear in what I'm saying. This is not about breaking, this is not about, I should say, condemnation or guilt or exchanging your your current list with a new list that's longer of all the things you got to go out and strive for. If you've been here at Forest Park for any length of time, you know I'm constantly blasting, you know, Pharisees and religion and all the rules and regulations that we strap people down. I am not talking about that. This is not about that. This is about learning to break free from what is slowing us, hindering us, hurting us, and holding us back. 
This is about walking in the freedom Jesus has given us. This is about moving into spiritual adulthood. So let's get personal. Say, Scott, I'd rather you not. Let's get personal. Are you progressing? Don't lift your hand. Don't nod. And don't poke the person beside you and say, he is talking to you today. Don't do that. Just, just look forward. Just listen. Are you progressing? Are you becoming whole? Are you getting healthier? I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Are you slowly changing for the good? Are you becoming more complete? This has nothing to do with God's love for you or acceptance or forgiveness or birth into God's family. This is about growing up. For instance, when our two grandsons, Grayson and Elliot, were born, they were immediately part of our family. I mean, immediately, instantly. They were part of our family, no questions asked, no doubts, and they would never and will never be outside our family, no matter what. And you know what's amazing? When they came home, the only things they did 24 hours a day, fill up their diapers, drink from bottles, spit up, and sleep. That's literally it. And every now and then, they would open their eyes, and Lana would come say, if you want to come see Grayson or you want to come see Elliot, you know, you've only got a few minutes. His eyes are open right now. He's awake. And then all of a sudden, they'd go back to sleep, fill up their diapers, drink from bottles, spit up, and sleep. And we loved it. No problem, right? That's what babies do. But if you come to me, when Elliot and Grayson turn 18, and I say, you know, all they have done since they were born is fill up their diapers, drink from bottles, spit up, and sleep. And I act like it's no big deal. That at 18 years of age, they're still filling up diapers, drinking from bottles, spitting up, and sleeping. And if I acted like it was no big deal, you would not only conclude that there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my grandsons, but there's something wrong with me for me to think that's normal. This is a lot of churches and pastors. After years of following Jesus, the people are still filling diapers, drinking from bottles, spitting up, and mostly asleep. And the pastors do not see a problem. And that bothers me. Now listen, this, this is not a new issue. Say, well, you know, Scott, we live in a modern world and, you know, people are intelligent today and they're more advanced and they've kind of moved beyond their need for spiritual maturity. So what you're describing is probably a new phenomenon and what you call being, you know, children and immature is really just a, a kind of a, kind of a um, residual effect of just a, a world that's kind of moved beyond the need for God and Christianity. No, actually, it's not a modern issue. It's a human issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here's what Paul was dealing with. Brothers and sisters, he says, let's just give me that 1 Corinthians 3 passage. There we go. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but like 
unspiritual people like babies in Christ. Paul referred to them as babies in Christ. This is the early church. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is with Paul, the apostle, leading the churches. He still said, hey, we got some people who ought to have grown up, but they have remained babies. Watch this next verse. I gave you milk to drink instead of solid food because you weren't up to it yet. Now you are still still not up to it because you are still unspiritual why are they unspiritual how does he know they're unspiritual well they're not going to church as often as they should they're not reading their bible as often no 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 no. he saw unspiritualness he saw unchristlikeness he saw a baby christian because jealousy and fighting exists between you aren't you unspiritual and living by human standards This has been an ongoing problem for many, many years. You know what this tells me? And I'm telling you this, we should write this down. If you like to take notes, this is something we should write down. This is something that hit me hard. Listen very carefully. Some of our attitudes and behaviors and addictions, the only way to break free from them is to mature out of them. Some of the things that we struggle with is a direct result of remaining immature spiritually. This addiction that we keep nursing and struggling with, sometimes that particular addiction is just because we have never grown up and become men and become women spiritually. Some of the attitudes, some of the fighting and quarreling, Sometimes when you see it on Facebook and they all seem and profess to be Christians and they're fighting it in one another, it is like looking through the window of a nursery. What you are seeing are immature Christians fighting, jealousy and fighting and anger and bickering and they need to grow up. That's what's happening. You know that season in a kid's life when he or she doesn't want to take a bath. They don't think they need it. If you've had children, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially if you've had teenagers. When they hit about eight years, nine years of age, and all the way until they're about 13 or so, parents are going, go take a bath. Go take a bath. Please go take a bath. Have you showered today? You need to go take a shower. You stink. No, I don't. Go take a bath. Have you washed your hair? You need to go take a bath. You will argue and you will threaten. The only cure for that is maturity. They grow beyond staying dirty. They meet girls. Now they're taking three showers a day. They meet boys. Now they're in the shower 30 minutes and washing their hair and every kind of perfume and every kind of body soap and lotion and everything else. You know what? Being clean became more important than being comfortable. They grew out of it. You ever been around someone and they just stink? And I don't mean physically. I mean their attitude. You've been around someone and they just reek of just immaturity and you just want to say, it is time to grow up. 
It is time to move away from that habit, move away from that attitude, move away from that way of thinking about other people, move away from that stuff. It stinks. The only way is to mature out of it. First Corinthians 13 verse 11, Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child, and I didn't want to take a bath. Now that's not in there, but he would have probably put it in there. But now that I have become a man, I have put an end to childish things. Children say, I don't need to shower. I took a bath last Tuesday. Adults do not have to be told. See, so much of our behaviors and thinking and addictions and emotional issues that we battle with on a daily basis are due to some of us remaining children spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. And when we begin to grow up in Christ and move away from milk onto meat and put away childish things and embrace adult things, you will be amazed at the remarkable freedom and healing and wholeness and joy that comes into our lives, especially to those around us when we start taking showers. What do you mean? The whole house smells better when the kid takes a shower, right? You just brighten everybody's day when you're clean. Sir, there are some things in your life that if you would just grow up and move away from some things, your entire house would smell better. Ladies, there are some things in your life, if you would just mature and grow up, your entire house would smell better. Your kids would benefit. Your husband would benefit. Your wife would benefit, sir. Your business would benefit. The city would benefit. The nation would benefit if adults would just become adults. Anybody tracking with what I'm saying today? Good. Here's the hope. You do not have to remain the same. You can move from weakness to strength, from sickness to health. You do not have to remain stuck. You do not have to remain bound. You do not have to remain chained to whatever or whomever. You can break free. But here's the deal. A whole lot of us don't. And here's one reason. This, I'm telling you this, you know, we could give reason after reason, but here's a big reason, a huge reason. And I'm a, if I do it well and I explain it well, you'll get it. It'll click and make sense. Hopefully, I can explain this good. Here's one reason. We believe, those of us who call ourselves Christians and were raised in church, especially, it's especially true of those of us who are quote-unquote church people, we believe God is interested mostly with getting us into heaven after we die. This is, this is what I picked up when I was a child and young adult. I was, I was taught the important thing is eternal fire insurance. Okay? Make sure you're good after you die and you stand before God. Because one day, Scotty, you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, he's going to say, why should I let you into my kingdom? And you better have a good answer. And here's what I heard. Since what matters is getting you into heaven, Scotty, after you die, then what happens between your prayer and your death isn't nearly as important as your eternal destiny. 
Because what matters is making sure you make it in. So you know what I started wondering? And maybe I'm the only weird one here. But here's, here's what I started wondering. Because this is the way I think. I mean, from a young teenager into my young adulthood life, here's what I started wondering. Well, if the most important thing is to make it in, I just want to make sure I make it in. So, can I do this and still make it to heaven after I die? And, and, and what about this over here? Or what about that? Will this get me barred from heaven? How about, how about, how about this over here? What about, what about how much of this can I do and still be okay? Basically, looking for loopholes. Because the most important thing is that when I close my eyes on this side of eternity, I just want to make sure that I wake up on the other side of eternity and I'm good. So I was always figuring out how close can I get to the edge without being pulled over? Because what mattered was the next life, not this one. Let me give you a warning, okay? This is coming from 30 years of pastoring. It's coming from 40 years of following Christ, 50 years, 45 years, I guess. This comes from thousands of sermons, counseling, and more than any of that, this comes from falling on my face 500 times. Listen to me very carefully. Looking for loopholes ends in bondage every time. Trying to get as close to the line as you possibly can get will wrap you in chains. And it doesn't have anything to do with God's love for you and it doesn't have anything to do with you being a child of God or saved or whatever word you want to put on it. But I'm telling you, you start looking for loopholes, you're going to end up in places that you never intended to be. Getting as close to that edge without falling over. You're going to end up in places that you wish that you could go back and never get close to that line. And here's what I've had to learn. And when this went off in me, when I was taught this, when this finally clicked inside of me, it changed the way I looked at every single day of my life. And here it is. Christianity is not about how to get you into heaven after you die. Christianity is about how to get heaven into you while you live. That changes everything. Christianity is about life. It's about living. It's about the here and the now. You do not have to live in bondage to anyone or anything. Following Jesus means freedom, freedom to live without any kind of weight, chain, oppression, or captivity, not to goons or gods, not to men or money, not to body image or fear of failure or social media management or sex or drugs or pride or anger or anything or anyone. You and I have been set free. What does that mean, Scott? Romans 6, let's give this to you. This, this teaching right here alone is, is in depth, but we'll just hit it and move. We'll get back to it later. So then, Paul says, since all that's true, 
since you have been set free, since Christ has given everything to you, since he has liberated you from darkness, since he has resurrected you, since he has forgiven you, since you are just forgiven, since all of that is true, so then, in light of all that truth, so then, don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law, but at a race. And if you've been here for a number of years or maybe even a few months, you've heard me blast again about rules and regulations and Phariseeism and religion, and I still absolutely 100% won't back up one moment from that. I hate it all. But Paul says you're not under law. But people thought he was giving them law. The only way I know to describe it is this. Can you imagine, again, I'm picking on the teenagers today. Imagine a teenager in your house, young, young child or whatever, I don't want to take a bath. And you say, go take a bath. You stink. And the child says, I just hate all these rules. This is bondage. I can't believe you're making me take a bath. And you say, well, sweetheart, you have a job interview today. I think you probably would want to take a bath. It's not a rule. It's out of love. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to take a bath, to take care of yourself. It's not law, it's grace. Now that you've been free, now that you've been given an opportunity for a job, you might want to clean yourself up a little bit and present yourself. That's a difference. Yet many of us live as though we're not free, and Paul says, well, you are free. So what is the disconnect between what we know and how we live? Let me give you three brief reasons why. These are all big. Hit them real quick. Three brief reasons why there's a disconnect between what we know and how we live. Number one, we think boundary is bondage. We think freedom means doing anything we want, anytime we want, and if any boundary is placed around us, if any limit is set, we cry religion, we cry legalism. Folks, we've confused boundary and bondage. Let me get really clear. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you don't, you don't need to look at anybody else. You just need to listen and look at me, okay? I'm going to ask you some very direct questions. Let me ask those of you who sit down to a computer and you begin working on something productive. You've got homework, you've got a paper, you've got work to do. But you have no internal boundary in place. And you find yourself going wherever your body wants to go and wherever your mind wants to go online. And the next thing you know, you've spent an hour looking at porn. I ask you this question. How free are you? Be honest. How free is your mind? When you're finished, how free 
do you feel? No condemnation, no guilt, just a question. To those of you who go to a store and you know you're old enough to drink whatever you want to drink, but because of your past issues and because of the issues maybe of your father or grandfather or mother or past things that you've battled with and addictions, and you know it's probably not the wisest thing, but no matter how hard you try, the alcohol calls your name and you buy it and you drink it until you're numb. How free are you? And when you wake up the next morning, how free do you feel? To, the, to those of you who feel free to say whatever you want to say to your spouse or kids, and when one of them ticks you off, you unload an angry swath of words that dominates and humiliates your family, how free are you when all that's over? To those of you who hear the racist jokes at work or the gossip at lunch, how free are you to not participate or to change the subject, though everyone around you thinks you're soft? So you jump in and laugh because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. How free are you? You see, I've learned that you and I are never free until we know we can do it but we choose not to. We're never truly free until we see what it is that we want, but wisdom says that's not wise. Truth says that's not the road you want to walk down. And it has nothing, you know, it has nothing to do with God's love. It has nothing to do with condemnation. It has nothing to do with guilt. It has everything to do with wisdom and you know consequences follow certain kinds of behaviors. And in the truth and in the wisdom you have and in the maturity you have achieved and learned and grown and the spirit of God in your life, you say, I can, but I choose not to. Now you're free. You don't have to have 25 rules. You don't have to have chains all around you. Let me make it even more simple. You're walking down the street, and this huge dog runs out from behind a house, and he starts running toward you, barking and growling, and you know if he ever gets to you, he is going to chew you apart. And right before he gets to you, about six inches away, you realize oh, there's a chain on that dog. And then you look and you think, oh, that dog isn't going to be able to bite me. He's on a chain. Just snap that chain and see what he'll do. His character hasn't changed at all. He's only chained. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about changing your character and your nature to where if you snap the chain, he still wouldn't bite you. Say, is that possible? Yes, it's possible. You can break free from living in the bondage of every temptation, every thought, every desire, everything you want to do or what feels good. Yes, Christianity can free you enough that you don't live in that kind of bondage anymore. There's hope. Christianity is bigger than just forgiven. Number two, 
we think attending church is following Jesus. That's another reason we have a disconnect between what we know and what we do. Folks, we have churches packed with Christians who love the worship music and love the coffee and love the friendship, but are utterly immature when it comes to following Jesus. Attending church is not the same as following Jesus. Posting Jesus stuff on Facebook is not the same. Fighting for justice is not the same. Not even loving and kind to people is the same as following Jesus. Well, doesn't all of it include it? Yes, it all includes it. But it's not the same. And we have to learn the difference. We're not jumping into all this today. This is a series. Just hitting it, kind of wetting the appetite, if you will. Number three, we think our past is our future. A few of us are simply discouraged. That's the reason there's a disconnect. We've walked away from what held us in bondage for a while, and then we went right back into it again, and now we have no confidence. We think tomorrow will be just like yesterday. Listen to me very carefully. Yesterday ended last night. Today is a new day. You know more than you did 24 hours ago. In fact, if you've been paying attention, you know more now than you did 30 minutes ago. You are not a failure. You have a future filled with hope and purpose and freedom. You can break free and walk free. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to revisit some of this material. We're actually going to dive deeper into some of it. In fact, next week in part two, we're going to discuss specific reasons why many of us never move forward and why we never walk in freedom. Very specific, and you're not going to want to miss it. I promise you. But I want to end today with a huge question many of us are asking. I know because I've sat there, I've asked the same questions. Scott, I hear what you're saying. But what do I do if I can't find the motivation? I know what you're saying, but I just can't seem to find the motivation to walk in that direction. In other words, what what if I have the knowledge but not the will? What if I know I should mature and grow and put away childish things, but I don't seem to maintain the passion to actually do it? There's a story in John 5. I'm just going to read it to you real quick, just a few verses of it. It says, In Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate in the North City Wall is a pool. It had five covered porches and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there. And a certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing he had already been there a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a great place to start. It seems like a silly question. Of course, Jesus, the man wants to get well. He's been there 38 years. Why would he ask? Why would you ask him such an obvious question? Because I have learned that a lot of people who are sick do not necessarily want to get well. The sickness is all they have. Their weakness and dependence and story of pain has become their identity. Take it away and give them health, and they wouldn't know what to say. They wouldn't know how to live. They wouldn't know how to function without the sickness. So it is a perfect question, especially for someone who's been sick for so long. So I ask you, I ask you in our modern language, if you will, do you want to live in freedom? Now that seems like a simple question to answer, but it's not. 
Do you want to walk away from whatever it is that's holding you in captivity? Let me make it more clear. Do you want to face the problems of life without the crutch and the numbness of alcohol or drugs? Do you really? Do you want to walk away from the gossip, the gossip without your friend's understanding? Do you want to engage in intimacy with your spouse and reconnect sexually without porn being at the center? Do you want to step up and be counted on to lead a group even when you don't feel like it? Do you want to give your money every week and trust God to meet your needs? Do you want to quit saying yes to more and more money and be content with what you have? Do you want to go into therapy and finally confront the ghost of your past and do the hard work and get healthy? There's a lot packed into that question. Do you want to get well? That's an awesome question. And if you say, Scott, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know if I do. I mean, some days I want to and some days I don't. I mean, some days, Scott, I am so motivated and some days I just am deflated. If that's you, I have no condemnation for you. I promise you in my hand is no rock. I will never throw it at you. No guilt, no pressure. Because to be honest, I sometimes don't want to either. So he who has no sin, cast the first stone, I ain't throwing no stones. Because some days, I got a lot of motivation. Man, I'm so excited to follow Jesus and learn and grow and to confront my ghosts and deal with my stuff. And other days, I don't want to do any of it. I want to throw my hands up and quit. See, let me let, me, let, me let you in know on a secret, okay? Don't tell anybody. The only people who know this is the first service, this service, and all the people online. So don't, don't tell anybody else, okay? I don't want to always be here on Sundays. In fact, sometimes your face is the last face I really want to see. I don't mean that in a mean way, and I don't mean that any personal. It's not, it's not you as an individual. I just don't want to stand on this stage and teach. You have any idea how many times I sit, open my computer, and begin to work on a part two or part three or whatever, and I'm reading books, and I'm putting things together and thoughts and looking for stuff, and that cursor's flashing on that white virtual paper and I got to type it all out and I don't have anything to say I don't always want to read and study I don't want to always walk away from what looks good tastes good and feels good say well Scott what do you do I lean on some promises one of the promises is Eco 36. This is God speaking. I will sprinkle clean water on you, Scott. I put my name right in it. I will sprinkle clean water on you, Scott, and you will be cleansed from all your pollution. 
I will cleanse you of all your idols, God. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. Who will? I will. Me? No, 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 no. God will. And sometimes the best prayer we can pray is to go before God and say, God, I got a stony heart. What does that mean? A hard heart. And I don't want to worship and I don't want to pray and I don't want to read and I don't want to walk away from some stuff and this over here looks really good right now and my flesh is tired and my body's tired and my mind is tired and I want to go over here and do this and I want to go do... You know what? I'd like a loophole right now. You know what? I'd like to see just how close to that line can I get. God, if you don't give me a new heart and a new spirit... Can I let you on, a, on, on, on something that's really eye-opening to me? Myself included in this, everybody in this room, you're only about one or two decisions away from screwing up your whole life. You realize that? You realize I could go out of here today and make a few decisions and ruin everything in my life? So could you. <laughs> we, we had better go and say, God, you better change my heart. You better change my mind. The other promise I lean on is Philippians 2.13. God is the one who enables you both to want and to live out his good purposes. Sometimes I know what I ought to do to live. I just don't want to. So I need God to give me the want to. God, I don't want to pray. Give me the want to pray. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to preach. I don't want to live. I don't want to say no. I don't want to say yes. I don't want to. I need you to break me free and let me live. All right. Carla Beth is coming and our team. and We're closing in a song. And if you're new here, if you're a guest, I'm not going to at the end of this song, call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you lift your hand. I'm not going to have anybody confess anything. I'm not going to call a list of sins and every particular sin, you got to lift your hand on that sin. I'm not going to do any of that, okay? But while she sings and while this team sings, I want this whole place to just become a place of prayer and let these words just, I mean, get inside. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to be dismissed together, okay? All right.
Father, there are a lot of us who know because we've been told and we've been taught that we're free, but we're not walking in freedom. We need to come to an altar and just bow our hearts before you and say, here we are. Change out my heart, change out my mind, soften me, help me begin to live out the truth of what you've given to us, the eternal truth of freedom. May we live in it, just like Paul said, so then, live it. Free us from ourselves that we might walk in the freedom that you've given to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Hey, listen, before you leave completely as you walk out the door, our First Impressions team has a a small basket 
and in the basket there are these little silver rings that you can slip onto your keychain or just keep as whatever. And on it has a little tiny chain on it. And we're just giving these out today and we'll give them out throughout the series. If, take it and I want you to put that on your keychain or hang it somewhere just as a reminder that the chain in your life has been snapped.